0: Hi, and welcome to Yes Please, your go to podcast for all things sexuality, pleasure, and orgasms. I've named this podcast Yes Please because that's how I want you to feel about all things sex, pleasure, and orgasms. Yes Please, and more. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here and that you want to learn more about how to experience more shameless pleasure, deeper satisfaction, and ecstatic orgasms in your life and sexuality. And I hope to inspire you to feel that you can embrace and celebrate your sexuality all throughout your life journey. This podcast isn't just about sex and sex education, however. It's about so much more, personal growth, living a radiant and confident and authentic life, radical joy and expression, and general fucking goodness. I'm your host, Erica Alsborn, and I'm a sexuality teacher and expert, sex and birth coach, but you can think of me more as your BFF who you love to talk to about sex and all the intimate things you don't feel comfortable talking about with anyone else. I celebrate the vast and diverse human erotic and sexual experience and I embody a deep shamelessness when it comes to sex in all its different expressions. However, having said that, I am a straight, able-bodied, cisgendered woman and in my work I specialize in female sexuality and I work with women with pussies and while I have a broad and liberal approach to sex and a very extensive training, my knowledge is limited by my own lived experience as well as the focus in my professional work. But I hope you'll learn lots here with me. Expand your idea of what sex is and can be and mean for you and even though I'm an expert on this topic I'm not an authority. Everything I share is always a suggestion not a must so take what resonates and leave the rest behind. I'm always open to receiving your constructive feedback so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any. Okay hi and welcome again I'm delighted that you're here and now let's dive into today's topic. Hi, friend. Welcome back to the pod, or welcome to the pod for the very first time. Today's episode is a conversation with Dr. Sharon Maloney, and I am speechless, deeply, blissfully embodied, and absolutely mind blown. I just came off Zoom with Sharon after our hour long conversation, and ah, What a beautiful journey that conversation was. What a beautiful human and woman Sharon is, and you are in for a treat. So who is Sharon? She is an author, speaker, and women's health therapist who guides women to find, reclaim, and embody their sacred female power. Her mission is to restore the sacredness of the female body, which is a microcosm of the earth body. When women love their bodies and activate their power, they access a potent form of biological leadership, which has a crucial role to play in restoring male-female balance to the planet. As a therapist, Sharon specializes in pregnancy loss, fertility therapy, couple-centered birth preparation, birth trauma, and reproductive surgery. Her work is informed by her PhD, which explored menstruation and birth as spiritual experiences, Sharon believes that our female bodies are our most intimate connection with nature, and her book, Activate Your Female Power, is a guided journey into that intimacy. She has a seven-week online video program based on her book, where the healing process is deepened through deep meditation practices and personal transmissions. Sharon is a fucking goddess. <laughs> Um, and the eloquency that she speaks with, the poetic way, yet so deeply knowledgeable and wise and academically informed as well. Like, it just creates this potent transmission. And I'm in awe. I feel like we both like fangirl crush on each other, <laughs> which is a lovely thing <laughs> to share with another human being. And you can tell from the conversation that we really respect and really like each other things that she talks about around restoring the sacredness of the female body, menstruation and birth, and then walks us through what birth trauma is and how to resolve it and move through it, it is knowledge and wisdom that every woman needs to hear on this planet. Even if you don't choose to give birth, you can hold this message in your body and embody it so that you create a positive environment for other women to resonate with this like vibrancy, this frequency of knowledge and respect and honor for the female body. There is something very, very, very special about Sharon's work and her message, and I really, really want for you to hear it. So please set aside the time to listen to this whole conversation. It will deeply touch you. I was crying throughout the whole thing <laughs> because I just... I was so deeply moved by the things that she said, and it resonates so deeply with me. And I hope it will for you as well. So I'll shut up now so that you can listen to this and enjoy this amazing conversation. Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Erica. It's wonderful to be here with you. It's
0: so wonderful. We share a bit of history, so we know each other a little bit. But it's been a while, so it's lovely being here with you and being able to see your face today and connect. Thank you. And likewise. Yeah. And this topic today is, uh, is a very potent and powerful and important one. And I'm so glad that you put your hand up to, to be here to talk about this. So without further ado, let's dive into it. So for the listener, please tell us a little bit about yourself your journey
1: and the work that you do and and why you're here. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Love to. So, it's always a tricky one for me to describe what I do because I do a number of different things. Probably the best way to give the answer to that question is to say that my deepest yearning, my deepest heart's desire and what I feel is my purpose in being here on the planet is to restore the sacredness of the female body mm-hmm. because it's It's been lost. It's something that was there in our history as a species and it's been lost and we need to remember it again. Mm -hmm. And so the work that I do, I'm a women's health therapist, I'm an author, I'm an evolutionary ambassador. There's many hats that I wear. In the past, an academic, I did a PhD looking at the sacredness of menstruation and birthing. So It's been the thread that's woven through my life for many, many years. And as I've aged, it's become more and more important to me that I get this message across to women that our bodies are sacred in our capacity to be alive, whether we ever undertake that journey or not. Simply the fact that we are life bearers means that we are sacred. Our bleeding is sacred. Our birthing is sacred. Our female bodies are sacred. All the things that are associated with being a life-bearer are sacred and we, we just so need to remember that again because from my perspective, I feel the energies on the planet are so imbalanced, tipped towards masculine ways of being and doing as normative and if women wake up to the fact that our bodies are sacred, we show up to the table with all of who we are and we can then exercise what I describe, what Vicky Noble describes, as our biological leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this fierce mama bear energy that says, no, you don't harm um, my cubs, my children, all of the children on the planet, not just the human ones but the plant ones and the animal ones and, you know, the, the vast array of life forms that are here. When we show up with our full awareness of our bodies as sacred, because our bodies are the microcosm of the earth body, that's we're acting on behalf of the earth body. So that's a very big answer to the question.
0: <laughs> well, I love I it. Know. I love big answers. And you have me in tears. I think I'm, I mean, obviously a little bit emotional. I'm six months pregnant and I'm like, I'm the life bearer. I
1: feel the baby inside
0: my womb. Oh my God. Absolutely. So what could be more
1: sacred? What there's, could be more sacred?
0: There's nothing. And it's sacred. And it, at the same time, it's like, It's so like mind boggling that life is growing inside of me and it's such a magical mystery. And at the same time, it's so raw and physical and like primal and of the flesh. And and it's, uh, yeah, but there is a, and birth as well. I talk about this a lot when I speak about orgasmic and ecstatic birth and how to think about birth, really about how it is this altered state of mind like you can that you enter into it's not it's something that is it's both beyond the body but it's so embodied at the same time and the mystery of that and I feel like that's that's exactly it like coming back to that feeling of this is so big I cannot fathom it and at the same time it's taking place within me on a cellular level how do I even comprehend that like how do I how do how do I approach that because it's so beyond me and at the same time it's
1: inside of me happening. Holy. It's like it's, it's the eternal paradox and and yes, yet exactly. this is this is why it's so important in western culture we've grown up with this idea for for centuries of spirituality and the sacred being a thing of the mind and abstract and separate from material, right? Yeah, From the material world. The material world was seen as something that you use and exploit and extract resources from. And now we know that's just not true. Even the science is telling us that we have a living planet with consciousness in plants and animals and, you know, energetic spheres around our planet that are intelligent and coherent and responsive to our behaviours and our actions. So the fact that we are life bearers and that we experience this incredible mystery of a new human being, you know, it's like, that's a soul. Yeah, That's a soul that said, yep, I want that mum and that dad and I'm coming into this womb. That's a soul's journey that we're facilitating and making possible of all the spirits that are out there in the universe. I'm and crying it, again. <laughs> it's a holy labour of love, what we do, and, you know, it demands not less than everything. Anyone who's ever given birth knows that. But at the same time, if we understand the true nobility and sacredness of that, then we, we require that level of respect and sensitivity and care from the people who are with us when we're going through that rite of passage of birthing. I mean, it should be the case anytime. time. You know, it's just that we've gotten used to this culture that exploits and, and desacralizes and profanes and treats women's bodies like things instead of these amazing, like a womb is a portal. It's a portal, yeah. you know, to the beyond and to the greater and to spirit and the fact that a soul can choose to come and, incarnate inside your womb inside my womb is the most profound mystery we ever get to experience as women and it totally is the case it's so far beyond our ability to comprehend and at the same time it's visceral it's like we're feeling the baby kicking inside our belly
0: literally right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally feeling him right now (laughs) yeah
0: yeah. Oh, I, uh, I love this conversation so much already and the perspectives and the wisdom that you bring and the broad knowledge that you have with this. I, I was speaking to Debra Pascali. I can never remember her last name. The, yes, I know
1: um, you're talking about. The ecstatic birth.
0: Yeah. Orgasmic birth Um, creator. Yes, orgasmic yeah. birth. Yes. Um, yes. Sorry, Deborah, I can't remember your last name. My apologies. But she was talking about you know, how we sterilize birth and how we sterilize the female body. And so what you're what you're describing so poetically and beautifully is the is the antidote to that.
1: Totally. We are sterilized from the moment we start to menstruate, actually. That's where it starts. That's the first female blood mystery. And for so many girls, even though it's better now in the sense of, accurate information and knowing how to take care of business, so to speak, but it's still not it's still not seen as a sacrament. Mm-hmm. And it and it in fact it is a sacrament. It's it's the initiation of our blood mystery, our first blood. And so when a girl walks into that mystery, like in some indigenous cultures, the Native American traditions and even Australian Aboriginal traditions, when that when that moment is marked as a sign of She's been touched by the gods she's forever different because of that, mm. and she she walks proud and tall as a menstruator which is what she does on behalf of the species you know if you, if you don't menstruate, you don't have new life, you don't have a baby in your belly yeah, so if you sterilize and sanitize and make that only about the plumbing, then something really profound is lost mm. and then that carries over you know i've I've written many times about this about how if you divest a girl of her power in her first blood mystery how is she able to show up fully for her second blood mystery which is birthing hmm. she's already behind the eight ball because she's got a like gaping hole in her knowledge banks and her innermost spirit about her power yeah. as a woman and then the system itself is geared to simply perpetuate that yeah it's super important that we that we remember. It's like it's not new. We just need to remember what we actually already know as a species, as women. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love what you said. Um, that really resonates. It, it creates a gaping hole inside a a woman around her power and her connection with herself and the sacredness of her bleeding and and the symbolism of that bleeding and what it means. And when you receive your first blood, it ought to make you walk tall and proud and feel like. You are now the carrier of, of your tribe, of your of the next generation, even if you choose not to have children, right? Because there are many women these days that can consciously choose not to have children, but the symbolism of it and the meaning of it. And, totally. I, don't, and I don't know one girl who got her period and felt proud and walked like tall and proud. Maybe, m- well, maybe there is a sense of like pride in some. I felt mostly disgusted
1: and ashamed. Yeah, most women do. And, you know, Erica, I had this blessed experience with my first period of it being a spiritual awakening. Mm. And wow. that was like I was 14. And I, when I think back to that time, it was pure gift. It was pure gift for me. It was kind of like the kernel of why I went on to do the journey that I did and do my research, you know, to explore this. I was like, it's nobody else experience. I just kept this as a private, cherished experience of my own. And I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory of that. I waited for a long time. I was quite late. I was into my 14th year and all the girls at school had got their period and they all moaned and complained. And I grew up <laughs> Catholic and I made a prayer to my Catholic God, if you give me my period, I will never moan and complain about the mess. And it's a vow that I kept my entire menstruating life. I always cherished it, and when my period finally came, I just felt like the sap running through trees, my whole bearings. I just felt like, yeah, I'm sacred. I, I, as much as a 14 year old can think that i'm I'm of one kin with the the tides and the phases of the moon and the seasons, and you can't touch that. yeah. It's sacred, and, and nobody can take that from me. And, you know, I told nobody because who do you tell when you're having an experience like that? But not your 14-year-old peers. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, But it was something that stayed with me and still stays with me, and it's part of my, like I said, my, my reason for being here is to, that was given to me as pure gift, and I feel like now I need to pass the baton on and say, yeah. We need to wake up and remember this. And many years later, when I was doing my PhD and I came across the, the indigenous cultures who honored monarchy men- first blood with elaborate, I'm like, oh my God, it's not just me, it's a thing. It's actually a thing. And other cultures and traditions have acknowledged that and practiced it. And so I was like deeply affirmed by the reading that I did around those cultures and knowing knowing securely in myself that I wasn't just a, a, a like an aberration that it had deep meaning and maybe I don't know I've never thought of this until just this moment but maybe it was a remembering from previous lifetimes that I had undergone that experience and it was like it just appeared in my 14 yeah. year old psyche as a result of having my period and you know I mean I had my share of cramps and flooding and public bleeding and all sorts of stuff but I never, every time I got my bleed, I was like, ah, welcome. There you are. Welcome. Like a, like a dear friend coming back.
0: I love that. I'm happy for you. I'm so, you know, what a blessing indeed. And who knows, maybe it was a remembrance from past lifetimes. And regardless of that, it definitely set the tone for your life journey and the work that you do. Right. And I love what you said about it being a remembrance, a remembrance because that's what I experienced when giving birth. It was like I mean I did ancient. extensive ancient. yeah, exactly. Ancient. I, I did extensive preparation, of course. Well, not of course, but I did. I chose to do extensive and and deep <laughs> preparation, both on a mental, intellectual, psychological level, emotional, spiritual, physical, and sexual. I was trying to really like Hit all the the realms inside of me to prepare for this completely unknown thing that I had no idea what it was going to be like. But there was a moment when I was 10 weeks pregnant. I lived in Australia for two years and I went to New Zealand and I went skydiving when I was in New Zealand in Queenstown. And I remember the feeling when I was 10 weeks pregnant, I was in Mexico at the time at a uh, retreat and it hit me kind of like it hit me on the airplane when I was going to go when I was on my way up, you know, through sky. like I'm not going to get off this plane. Like I am not landing. I am jumping out of this plane. That's when it hit me when I was skydiving. <laughs> so at 10 weeks pregnant, it hit me. Oh, my God. I'm not going to, not just going to go away. I'm going to give yes. birth. It was that kind yes. of same yes. like, oh. yes. it was like vertigo kind of feeling. That's when yes. the reality of, of my birth kicked in. And immediately my body went, we're not giving birth in a hospital. It was not a conscious thought. It was not a mental construction. I had never really thought about giving birth before. I had one friend in Australia that had had a home birth, but I thought she was kind of crazy. And it was 10 years prior to that <laughs> moment. And it was never it was never really in my mental landscape of giving birth until that moment. And my body told me, we're not giving birth in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I had a vision of giving birth in a hospital that, that came afterwards. And literally all the hair on my body stood up. I felt nauseous and I turned green and mucky and yucky inside. Yes. And yes. I was like okay, this is communication from deeper guidance, like higher wisdom. Totally. I can't go against this. This is my truth. And I waited a few weeks until I came home from my, no, I think I told my husband about it. But then the process of like turning him around and getting him on board started. And then my own, like the mental preparation and knowledge, seeking and all of that came afterwards. But that was a profound moment of inner truth and deeper guidance yes. from myself. And I don't know where yeah. that came from. That but have been from like... the baby. You know? Yeah, exactly. But... Maybe. But it felt like the first moment of true spirit guidance or whatever yes. to yes. me around what type of experience I needed to have. And then I did all the mental and like sort of modern preparation. But in the actual giving birth, it felt like a complete remembrance. And I, I say oftentimes like, when it comes to birth, we have instinct. Like we think we don't have instinct anymore because we're so civilized and so sterilized. I've, I've even heard people say, like the author of Sex at Dawn, his podcast, he was talking about, like I don't think people have instinct. And I and I thought to myself, well, you've never given birth, so you wouldn't know. Maybe if you went hunting or something, instinct would kick in for you, your man but surely we have instinct. I mean, it's it coded in our DNA. And that Absolutely. felt to me like giving birth was a remembrance of, of ancient wisdom in cellular yes. DNA, like, again, beyond me,
1: but within me. Yes, yes. And it's the mammalian instinct. We have this amazing capacity through our brain power and our neocortex to do all these incredible things. But when it comes to birth, We are really in that mammalian space. This is when what you're talking about, when you go into that mammalian space, that's when it goes best. If we stay in our neocortex, that has the capacity to completely derail the whole thing because it's the wrong tool in the moment. Yeah. So it's, it's an ancient mammalian. It is hardwired. It is there, but we've forgotten it and we get brainwashed out of it through the progressive disempowering that starts at monarchy, then continues when the moment you step through the often through the hospital door, unless you know what you're moving into and have the skills and the knowledge and the fortitude and the support to be able to navigate that system and remain true to your mammalian instincts, it's yeah. a hard road. And hence why we have this epidemic of birth trauma. Yes. But the reality is that instinctive knowing It is an awakening and it is a remembering and what we need to do is get out of our own way so that our bodies can remember what they do. It's the same with our sexuality. Our bodies know what to do, but we have to get out of our own way, right? This is what you teach.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I always say that. You don't teach your body to experience pleasure. Your pleasure knows. You just have to get out of the way. And start exactly. and create the environment, the mental environment, right. psychological, emotional, and physical
1: environment in which your body can give you the pleasure that it's
0: innately capable of giving you.
1: Exactly. And I think it's the same with birth. Minority of cases, there are like anomalies. But if you listen to the obstetric kind of paradigm, you would think that every birth was destined to malfunction. And it's simply not accurate.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned birth trauma, and that's kind of you know, what we're, what we were meant to focus on today, (laughs) because you do work around helping women heal and release birth trauma. So maybe let's start with like a definition, like how would you describe a birth trauma? And I'm sure there are so many different ways and it's very unique and and individual to, to each woman or, but is there a way that we can better understand birth trauma?
1: Well, it's, I think it's kind of like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Trauma is in the eye of the experiencer mm. because you can have a medically straightforward birth. Like I've worked with women who said on paper it was all like picture perfect, but I'm deeply traumatised by what mm. happened. Mm. So it's, it's really subjective. It's the person's own internal experience of what happened during their birth. And, you know, there are many factors that contribute to that. It's not knowing what you don't know. It's having been alienated from our mammalian instincts from, you know, way back and then it's crunch time, you know, like it's crunch time when you're in labour, it's too late to start then. It can be the system itself, which is geared to a whole lot of policies and procedures and protocols that aren't necessarily physiologically based. That's a kind of mismatch like this of two separate worlds colliding. It can be medical complications that are traumatic. So. So there isn't really a definition. I would say my working definition is if somebody says to me I've experienced birth trauma, then then that's like good enough for me to work with the person. Yeah. Somebody feels traumatized by their birth experience, then that's what we go with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for naming that. And I I totally agree. Trauma, whether it's birth trauma or sexual trauma or car accident trauma, It's never about the what, but it's about the how, how you experienced it, how the subjective feeling was, and also afterwards, the integration and the processing that either leaves the trauma in the body or helps integrate it so it doesn't manifest as a trauma. So you can have two people experiencing the exact same conditions and circumstances, and one will leave feeling untouched, not traumatized and, and okay with the situation, and the other one will be carrying an emotional, psychological, or physical trauma.
1: That's true. It's true. Yeah.
0: So anyone listening, if you feel like it's still lingering, there's a lingering sense of something's not sitting right inside of you from your birth experience. I invite you to honor that and to just embrace that and not think that something's wrong with you or that you are also in, forever broken, right? Because that's yes. what you do in your work. You talk about birth trauma as a, as a portal to empowerment. So there's an emphasis on healing.
1: Yes, yes. And it's so important what you just said there, Erica, about because most women that I work with will come to me and say, my body let me down. Yeah, My body failed. I'm not a good mum. I have this baby and I don't feel the love that I should be feeling for my baby. They, they usually internalize or interpret their experience as them failing or their body failing or a problem with them. And so if for anybody listening, if that's, if that's you, I would just really question that. Just really question that and start investigating and looking into it because it may not actually be accurate. I kind of sometimes feel like the obstetric system is like a sausage machine that women go into and then they're pushed out the end with a baby and they, the women who leave the hospital traumatise. And there's so many women that I've worked with that, for whom that's been the case almost always believe it was their fault. Yeah. There's a few that have enough knowledge and, and have investigated enough before they went into the system to know that this shouldn't have happened or that caregiver's attitude was really insensitive or I didn't need that intervention but I had it. Yeah. And so one of the first things that I do with a client is start unpacking this actual what happened without deeply re-traumatising them. And because of my study and my research and the bigger picture perspective, I'm able to join the dots for them, so they can trace it back and go, ah, oh, right, I didn't realise that all of those things were connected. Yeah. So their bodies, for example, if they have, if they're already fearful and their cervix is not opening, and then somebody comes in and says, okay, I'm going to put in a drip to speed things up, and then their contractions get so painful, so quickly that their body can't possibly. Then they need to have an epidural to cope. They just think that their bodies failed them, that they've failed. When actually, who was there to reassure them and comfort them and downregulate their nervous system and say it's okay all the time in the world, you are safe? The things that actually needed to be said, there could have been a whole different outcome. And so many times, the women who leave out of that system are told they have postnatal depression and they're given a prescription and they don't realise that part of their suffering with is birth trauma. Mm. It just hasn't registered for them. That's not everybody because postnatal depression is like a seven-headed monster with all kinds of precursors and predispositions. But it's definitely, you know, up the list as far as contributors go.
0: Yeah. It makes me furious (laughs) to think about it, It how we, you know, how we cut the woman we cut her powers we cut the support and i always say that pregnancy and birth are extensions of your sexuality and i say think about giving birth as you would want the same conditions and safety and privacy as when having sex exactly and so imagine if your pussy's not opening when you're about to have sex and someone says let's just let's just drug you a little bit and then like add more lube and then let's just shove it in and it's yes, like no exactly.
1: It's exactly analogous to that and you know Erica the the tissues of the cervix which has to dilate it's a, it's called extracellular matrix it's the same tissue that's in the penis that causes an erection and so you imagine if you said to a man okay come on let's take this is taking too long we need you to get hard now how likely is that to happen
0: exactly
1: it's, it's not going to happen and it's the same with a woman who's fearful the tissues that are meant to engorge with blood to help the cervix dilate, it can't happen because her fear response is diverting the blood to the hands and the feet so she can run, yeah. which is what she feels like doing, and so the cervix can't do its job, and that's called failure to progress. Yeah. Well, it's not her failure to progress. It's the fact that there isn't safety and she doesn't have the support that she needs to, to be cocooned in what is the most profound, sacred vulnerable moment of her life when she's opening up to bring another human being through yeah there are archaeological sites where they in the deepest precincts of the temple they have found these drains with red paint in them that are where the women would have birthed because it was known to be so sacred Mm -hmm. it would have to happen in that temple precinct yeah and what do we have we have nothing comparable and you know i'm going to keep calling it the system i don't want to bad mouth the system because i know really good some of my good friends and midwives and doctors and obstetricians but it's not physiologically designed for an individual woman to down her nervous system and come home to safety and that's so what is needed and it's definitely not designed to be a sacramental space and that's also what is necessary that's what we need to remember yeah And when we do remember that and we start requiring that and get that ancient knowing like you did, oh, I have to give birth at home because this is where I'm going to be safe and educate people about the amazing research, like decades of research on the efficacy and the maternal satisfaction and the good outcomes of home birth. If we could make that shift, then we would have an opportunity to create sacred space around a birthing woman and then the whole culture would shift. Yeah, yeah. And birth trauma would be a thing of the distant past, you know it would be like, remember back in the days when slavery was a thing and, and black people were in slavery, yeah, that's like we well, would never want to go there again. i I have this dream and vision that one day birth trauma is going to be that thing that we talk about that happened way back when and would never happen now because we we know how to not let that happen.
0: yeah yeah, I share that vision with you. I hope that will be a thing of the past and that we're moving towards a brighter future in terms of honoring, understanding, and supporting physiological birth and using the medical, the incredibly amazing and highly advanced and technological medical system that we have that we're all grateful for. I mean, I'm a, I'm a former nurse. I'm, <laughs> I've worked, you know, I honor the medical system. But the, the pendulum has swung too far. We know that when it comes to birth and how the system imposes its interventions and policies and guidelines with little regards to the individual and with very little understanding of physiological birth. Many, many, especially OBGYNs, I mean, they say it themselves, they have not seen physiological birth because they're only called in when something goes wrong, right? And so they're not actually present for undisturbed, physiological, unhindered birth. So many OBGYNs have never seen what the the human female body is capable without any medical intervention and of course if you don't have that frame of reference how are you even gonna know that it's possible and 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 understand it some midwives have luckily right but also many midwives don't i remember when i was preparing for my (laughs) home birth my former nursing colleagues who I was still in touch with. I'd left nursing, but I was still in touch with them. And I told them that I was preparing for a home birth. And one of them was actually a midwife at that point. And she was working in the labor ward. And she told me, you're insane. You're insane. How can you, in your right mind, as a nurse, choose to give birth at home? Are you serious? This is so irresponsible, she said to me. And I said, I don't give a shit. You can shut the fuck up. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I'll do. I'll prove <laughs> you wrong, bitch. Yes. Yes. And and <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I didn't say that. But that was was my internal. I was like, I hear you, and I disagree. Yes. And I was res- I respectfully choose to uh, disregard any advice you give me because I do not resonate with it. And so had my home birth, and this is such a funny coincidence because when I went with my baby two weeks old or something to the checkup at the hospital, she was the midwife that I met. I didn't know. Oh, she was there. And she's like, so, so? And I said, yep, I proved you wrong. I gave birth at home. And she's like, I've been thinking about it. And ever since you mentioned that, I've been thinking about it and it, it, it hit home. And I realized that the experience that you were looking for, you were not going to get at a hospital because we do physiological birthing in theory. That's what we learn theoretically. But once you get started working, you just can't, you know, and and it's traumatic for many of the midwives because they're forced into working. In a system that does not really align with their values, and then it's slowly, so slowly, slowly, they they internalize the system, and they they have to comply because they have to survive, and they later become the perpetuators of the system. So it it fucks it's, everyone. It's, right? true,
1: it's true, Erica, and you know, I've known a number of midwives who who started with such good intents and you know really want to be with women because i've had this amazing birth experience myself and then they find out that they're required to be more like obstetric nurses than midwives and it's a clash of their values and and it's a real dilemma they can get right to the end of their training and go you know what i don't know if i can do this i don't know if i can work in this way yeah so and i and- love that you that you knew again and, you know, the first woman I interviewed in my PhD research was a midwife who chose a home birth for her first child because her husband, who was a palliative care nurse, said, let's have a look at this and investigate, and he wanted it. And so they did all the research and chose a home birth, and she said, I told nobody because I knew the people at work would give me hell. And then she said it was it went so beautifully, and for my second, she had four children, all home births, a second Second baby when I was pregnant, I would tell anybody because I knew the research then, and people were, like, amazed. So it becomes this thing where you start, you start educating and it's a teaching opportunity like you've done with your midwife. That's also what happens with birth trauma, mm. that women when, when women have the opportunity to, to reframe and understand that their, their mammalian intelligence responded appropriately to the stimulus that they were experiencing, That's so key. That is trustworthy. And then when they have an opportunity to understand the bigger picture, I'm just going to call it patriarchal institutions and and energies that are pulling the strings with that, then usually what happens is there's there's this incredible rage that comes up, which is totally appropriate, and that's the mama bear, the fierce, protective, you know, life-protective energy that I spoke about. And then when they've had an opportunity to integrate and come through to the other side of the trauma, so so they're they're not in the pain, they have memory of the pain rather than pain at the memory. Then they become really powerful advocates for change. So they'll say to me things like, "You know what, my sister-in-law is pregnant, and I really want to tell her." And I say, "Tell her, tell her what you know. Yeah, tell her what you know will be empowering. Tell her what you know will be disempowering, or." I've had clients go on to become doula's or birth educators because of their experience. So that, or, or they'll say to me, "I've just become motormouth. mouth. I can't shut up when I'm in the mothers group, and I, you know, I start talking." And I'm like, "Good. This is what we need. We need this to be spoken into the space." And you know, for many years I was a hypnobirthing practitioner before I did my PhD, and then I wanted to incorporate some of my own findings in it my clients ended up having to break away from their mother's group because they couldn't tell their beautiful birth stories without the other mothers getting upset and saying that they were lying. So they broke away and formed their own little group and continued to tell their beautiful birth stories and support one another and enjoy their, their babies and toddlers together. And I'm like, that's a tragedy. They should be able to speak their beautiful birth stories because that's what we need in our culture. We need to hear beautiful birth stories, which is what you're doing on this podcast, right? Yeah. Asking women to come and tell their, their beautiful birth stories because that's what needs to be normalised. That's what needs to be, you No, know, this is our design. This is our mammalian intelligence. This is what we're meant to be able to do. We just need the supports and the, the deprogramming from this masculine as normal way of thinking about things and this profound mistrust of the female body. Yeah out of our own way so that we can let nature do what she does through our bodies
0: yeah so I want to summarize what you said because this is so important to understand the journey of healing or going through integration and healing with poor trauma so before you mentioned when you meet a woman who reports that she had a traumatic experience you start unpacking it without re-traumatizing so titrating that experience right yes. slowly yes. slowly telling her story so important and powerful to tell your story eh? oftentimes say you know write your birth story because it needs to come out and you need to see it so you unpack it and through that process you connect the dots and you understand oh this led to this this led to this and you can understand and it's highly appropriate and more effective to do it with someone who is knowledgeable in birth and understand the system and like cascade it like intervention cascades and things like that so it's good if you have someone with you that can help
1: you make sense of it as well, but yeah. definitely the connect bigger the... bigger picture view. You don't want somebody that's got an agenda, but the bigger picture view so that because when you're in the experience of trauma, you kind of lose that bigger picture perspective. You're just dealing with the fallout, right? Which is usually a bit of cognitive dissonance and emotional turbulence. And, and you know, you're second guessing yourself all the time and you feel... Not your best self. So if you have somebody who's got the bigger picture and is just kind of from a place of neutrality, pointing out factors about the obstetric paradigm that that actually work to disempower, then women themselves just start to join the dots. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then what you mentioned was reframing. So understanding that your body responded appropriately to the situation, not the other way around. Your body didn't fail you. Your body's not broken. You're not flawed by design which we oftentimes hear the pelvic outlet is too small and blah 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 you know none of that is true evolution did not fuck up or god i mean whatever you believe like whoever whoever created you it's not a faulty design if it was we wouldn't be seven billion people on this planet and we wouldn't have made it so far until the medical system arrived so we can just debunk that myth right completely and when it comes to trauma Understanding trauma, understanding stress cycles, fight, flight, freeze, even fawn. Right, a lot of women fawn and please. Feel like they have to please their care providers and just step into that good girl, and they can't access that female power. And it's also really hard when you're giving birth because that's not you cannot really do it during birth. You're not
1: supposed to be.
0: Yeah, you're not supposed to be required. Yes, yeah, so exactly. that's why it's so
1: important to do the preparation so that you you are aware of all of those issues before you go into labor because when you go into labor, you're going into that primal, instinctive part of your brain, and the neocortex is going to disrupt your hormonal sequence that needs to happen because it's yeah. so finely tuned.
0: So exactly. you have to do the
1: homework before yeah. you go into labor.
0: And I often say, so I did this in my birth, even though I had a planned midwife Assisted home birth with two midwives that I met several times that I felt I had a relationship with. They'd been to my home. We'd gone through everything. We had agreed on the plan. Like everything was so solidified in terms of expectations, trust, relationships, hierarchy of decision, executive decision making. All of that stuff was already like, it was done, Own. right? It was known and finalized. And I still, told them I don't want to speak to you, I want my husband to be my voice, so I only want to talk to my husband, yes, and that's a really good job to give to a man during birth yes because these days which is I mean it's kind of rare right in history to have men and to be men present at birth but and also just to be the man and the wife and I'm obviously I'm generalizing here, but most people live in stereotypically like heterosexual relationship dynamics, and usually what happens these days is that the mother and the male partner are present at birth and then you have yeah. caretakers so give the man a job to be your protector he totally. loves protecting you and he oh loves my your God.
1: voice. they so love that job erica and you know i do birth preparation i when i get to that part of my teaching with them and i say you have this really important job to do that nobody else can is to have her back Yeah. And when she's in the middle of a really intense moment, you can just come up right beside her ear and tell her how beautiful she is and how much you love her and her cervix. (laughs) will, Because the cervix has (laughs) ears and nobody else can do that. Only he can
0: do that. I I said that to my husband when we have sex, tell me how beautiful my pussy is. Yes. Tell me how (laughs) how much you love my pussy. Tell me how amazing she is. Give my pussy compliments and he'll he'll whisper compliments while we're having sex. About my sexual organs and my sexuality and my pussy. And my pussy just goes, just starts yes, curring. Exactly, of
1: course. Of course she does. <laughs> yeah, so There's, that
0: applies to birth as well yeah, and to cervix.
1: Totally, cervix has ears,
0: yeah. So he was my voice. He was my advocate. And he was the one to just come and check on me. Do you want a sip of water? Do you want Do you want to take a bite on the date? The midwife said that she needs to come in and listen to the baby's heartbeat. Is that okay? Is the light okay? I usually also give... Ah, uh, women, the information that they should think about their experience through the senses and give their husband yes. or their partner that tool. Think about the senses: what's the sight, what's the hearing, yes. taste, smell, yes. and feeling like. Yes. So that gives him direction and yes. gives him control over what he can do, instead of just feeling like he's a lost satellite in the it's space. So
1: important! It's so important because when you're, in that, when you're in that liminal state in labor, your senses are just like amplified to the nth degree. Everything. That, any smells that come in in his sight, like everything is so amplified. So if he's got the job of being the gatekeeper and, and, again, the protector and the moderator of that, then I think that's a brilliant strategy that you just, he's your go-between and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, it,
0: I mean, it's the same with, like, sexual trauma. If you freeze and you don't say no, that's a... An appropriate response of the nervous system is to freeze during a traumatic, threatening sexual experience. So when exactly. when women understand that and learn, oh, okay, my body didn't fail me; it actually did what the nervous system like it was an it was the only option for my nervous system and my body. Then you get compassion and understanding for yourself, and you don't blame yourself, and you can stop being angry at yourself,
1: really. and then because you're not the
0: f- failure. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Not the Your body is intelligent in its response, in its design, and its response to the stimuli that are in the space.
0: Exactly. And then the rage is externalized and that's a very healthy yes. shift, right? And so yes. Uh, yes. this happens a lot when I do trauma healing and sexuality, but also in birth. I've had birth coaching clients who had traumatic first births and they come to me and we work through it and many of them have really positive second or third births. And the rage, I have rage rituals that I give women because it's so important. And then when, when you process that, you reach a state of integration and the pain becomes a memory, right? And yes, you, said you have that memory
1: of the pain exactly. Than pain at the memory. And yeah. that's an incredible agent of change because the birth trauma is like an initiation into the dark belly of the the underbelly of the patriarchy where you... You through first hand experience, you get to know your body gets to know what what's at stake here, because most women will know this is wrong. This is this shouldn't be happening. This is wrong, and so when they come through to the other side and they they've integrated the trauma and it's no longer they're no longer at the effect, then they become like I remember you saying, "I'll be damned if if women are not going to find out about their sexuality." It's like those women are, I'll be damned if I'm going to let another woman go through that torment because I can speak and I can do something about it. And that's a really good place to be because then you're, you are you an agent for change. And it's only going to change by women speaking and saying, no, that's not okay. We deserve better. We need better.
0: Yeah. Amen. Fuck yes. Yes. Wow. We've talked about so It's a holy
1: rage. It's a holy rage, Erica. Yes. It's totally appropriate. To the violation, you know, women, I'm sure you've heard of Hermani Hayes-Klein. She's a human rights lawyer who's, who's doing cases in courts now of naming obstetric violence as a human rights violation. Hmm. And that's right on the money. That's what needs to happen so that people stop and think, whoa, there could be repercussions for my behavior as a caregiver. If yeah. I'm not sensitive and caring and I don't get to override somebody's decision-making and make their decisions on behalf of them.
0: And then completely this, fucking gaslight them and said, you should be grateful your babies. I'm totally. Gonna
1: you completely gaslight them. And and yeah, it's like the same thing that happened historically when Lister in whenever it was 1800s found out about the germs were the contributors to childbed fever and the obstetricians of the day said that was hooey. It's the dirty women that are the problem, and they wouldn't wash their hands between one woman with childbed fever and the next, and so we had women dying, terrible deaths, because it's you're the fault, you're the problem. Yeah. Well, it was never the problem, and and I just can't keep reiterating this thing that we do in bringing a new soul onto the planet is so sacred. It is so sacred. That moment when a new child is born, everything in the universe has to shift to accommodate. There should be like the utmost respect, care, reverence, protection, preservation of dignity, privacy like all of those things that should be our non negotiables for every woman giving birth. Hmm. That's our right, actually, as life bearers to expect that, to require that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so if you're going to give birth and you're listening to this or if you're going to give birth at some point, if you have that in front of you, regardless if it's the first or second or, you know, then bring this message with you and do what you can to make sure that you have the right support. And I know. You know, not, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea to to give birth at home. And I totally respect that. I always say there's no hierarchy. There's no better or worse. I'm not against the hospital or midwifery or maternal care or anesthesia, whatever it is. It's meant to serve you. Yes. But in order for it to serve you, you need to be able to make an informed decision. And, and you can stick your head in the sand and just, you know, wish for the best, cross your fingers and hope that the system will take care of you, but we know that's usually not what happens. And so information and knowledge and preparation really gives you a sense of empowerment. And you need that sense of empowerment in order to make informed decisions. So all the preparation that you do leading up to birth will benefit you during birth and beyond. And it's important to not be naive. Really, and to, and be,
1: to, be, to be in your power, to be able to birth yeah. from your center of power One of the other women in my study said to me, she did hypnobirthing and she said, not with me, but with somebody else, and she said, you know, when I was pushing my son out, I roared like a lion and I knew that I had absolute power to protect him when he was born and to mother him. It was such a great statement. I roared like that power. I roared like a lion, like that mammalian, raw, wild, ferocious power that's going to You try you lay a finger on my baby and I'll rip your throat out. That Mm. kind of that's that's what's there. And that's not something you forget. You can't go back to being pre that like that wild female power. It's just there in your tissues and in your memory from that moment on. So you're walking that now into the world. Mm. And that can be cross-trained into other areas of your life. Your female power is is what you bring. To your life, to your family, to your workplace, to your friends, to any conflict that you're in. It's it's our birthright and we've forgotten it and we really need to remember it again. Yeah. I agree.
0: I feel like we've covered so many important and powerful and beautiful topics and aspects of this. Is there anything else you wanna to say to anything else you wanna say that you feel we haven't touched on or and or to summarize. And I feel what you just did was a beautiful summary. But is there anything else that you feel like I have to mention this? Otherwise, it won't feel complete.
1: I don't think so, Eric. It's been a really beautiful conversation. And I'm just going to reiterate what I said several times already in our conversation that we need to remember to anybody who's listening, even if you don't have a sense of spirituality, just remember The mystery of what it is to be a life bearer, whether you ever have a child or not, the fact that we are capable of this, that we get to do this, that we are born with a womb and breasts and a vulva and a vagina, that in and of itself is one of the deepest mysteries of our existence. And I feel so privileged that I get to live that in this lifetime. Mm,
0: I agree. It's a blessing, not a curse.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, but just love my female body.
0: Yeah. And if people want to learn more from you, connect with you, reach out to you, where do they find you? We'll include all the links below, but is there anything you want to mention about your work and what it is that you do or any offerings that you have that you want to just, yeah,
1: emphasize? Yeah. Thank you. My website is the best place to find me and reach out. There's a lot of different arms of what I do. And there's also my online program, which is like mainly video based, lots of videos and meditations and transmissions that can also be a form of nourishment. And then there's my book, Activate Your Female Power, which is also available on Amazon or Booktopia or the book depository. So there's lots of resources there for anybody who wants, who's curious and who wants to follow up.
0: Mm. Thank
1: you, Sharon, for
0: being here. Thank you for the work that you do. And it's been a true deep joy and delight to have this conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure.
0: Okay my friend, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something new today or that I reminded you of something you already knew or do and that you feel inspired and encouraged to prioritize sex, pleasure and orgasms in your busy life. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and give it a rating or review so this important message can reach more people on this planet. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next time.